0: Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more, and leave us some feedback. Away we go.
1: Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Bald Baldface Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald-Faced Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: There we go. I like that music. It gets the energy going. You know? It's, you know, when you don't have the music, it's it's like a silent movie can't have that. Uh, Damian Lillard gets uh, two years, $122 million extension. It's a lot of money. A lot of money. Uh, And the Blazers, uh, you know, are trying to build around him. Their draft pick, Shaden Sharp, uh, left Summer League with a left shoulder injury. We want to talk about that. I want to talk about Jody Allen's ownership of the Blazers. I want to talk about Lillard. Sean Hyken, uh, Rose City Report, that is the... A uh, new endeavor that he has embarked upon. He's covering the Blazers. If you're a Blazer fan, you should be following Sean Heiken. He's joining us now. Let's start with Lillard. Two years, 122 million. Sean, what was your reaction when you saw that?
2: I, I mean, I, the number was actually a little bit higher than what I thought to is Then what I had always heard, and obviously this stuff kind of goes, you know, this stuff is all kind of subject to change depending on like where the salary cap ends up and where you know how what you know gets triggered as far as, like, the revenue split, but I had always heard that it was, you know, going to be, like, two years, 100 was going to be the max. I guess it was a little bit more than that, but I was never... I never thought that Dame wasn't going to find the extension. It was just a matter of when it was going to happen. I had kind of thought that... He wanted to not do it at midnight, like some of these other. You, you saw at midnight on the first day of free agency, like Nikola Jokic got his deal with the Suns and or with the Nuggets. Devin Booker got his deal with the Suns. Carl Pound got his with the Timberwolves. Dane wasn't one of the ones in the midnight slate, but uh, I think he just kind of wanted to wait and just make sure they were serious about adding guys and you know adding win-now pieces around him. And I think that. Signing Gary Payton the second and trading for uh, Jeremy Grant kind of gave him a little bit of reassurance, but I never thought he wasn't going to do it,
0: though. Let me ask you, you know, I wrestle a little bit with it's a lot of money for one guy, and when you look at his career earnings, you're talking about earnings that are up with Kevin Durant and some others who have had a lot more team success than Damian Lillard's had. But how much of the Blazers' failure to, to win big with Dame is on him and how much do you just say hey that's out of the control of star players
2: well i can think of somebody that it was in the control of who maybe could have done more to put pieces around him and build a roster that made sense than than damian lillard like look yes it, it is a lot of like to me and you that's like a like 60 million dollars a year essentially is, is what he's going to be getting on this new extension to me and you that's like a fake amount of money that's like more more money than you and i are ever going to see in our lives like One check of that is probably more than either of us are going to see. But you know what? It's not our money. And also, I think think just seeing a lot of these numbers, I think a lot of people have not really adjusted to Uh just what NBA salaries are now. About six years ago, seven years ago, when Kevin Durant signed with the Warriors because the cap spiked. You started seeing kind of these insane contracts, and the cap has only like continued to go up since then. And since the salary cap is a percentage of you know the league's revenue, the league made all this money off the TV deal. They're about to get another TV deal that's even bigger. Like fans see, you know, the number like that, and it just like makes their heads explode. But that's just what NBA superstars get paid now.
0: We're talking to Sean Hyken, Rose City Report. That's where you can find his stuff now. Uh, have the Blazers? Has Joe Cronin done enough? To surround Damian Lillard with talent, or is there a move left to be made?
2: Well, first of all, real quick, it's actually Rose Garden report, not Rose, Rose report. Garden.
0: Rose Garden, my bad, my bad. Rose Garden report. No, it's, yes. all it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all, it's, all, it's, all good, it's all good, man. It's all good. No, has he done enough? I think
2: he has done the best that probably was available to him. Like it, it, it depends on what you like. I think if there's one thing you could say, oh, they could have done this more. They could have traded the number seven pick for whether it was OG Ananobi or John Collins. I yeah, from what I understand, Toronto was asking for a lot in addition to the pick for Ananobi and so the decision that they made was to we're gonna make some win now moves with Jeremy Grant, but then we're also gonna kinda of protect against that a little bit with a, you know, taking an upside swing on a guy like Shaden Sharp. I think if they really were just the entire focus was just only building around Dame and only building on Dame's timeline, they would have done something with that pick as far as trading it for a veteran. But with them deciding not to do that, I think other than that, you know, considering how little they gave up, they only gave like a couple of future second round picks for Jeremy Grant or something. That wasn't even really that big of a of an expenditure. And then uh, Gary Payton, I think, is going to fit in really well. They've gotten a lot better defensively with some of the guys that they've brought in. So. I think he's made them a lot better than they have been. I think that in terms of whether they, you know, are they up there with like the Golden States and the Phoenixes as far as how good their roster is? I still don't think they are, but I'm not sure realistically what move there is out there right now that would have made them into that tier.
0: Fair enough, Sean Heiken, with us with the Rose Garden report. That you should be following him there, Sean. Let me ask you uh, the injury to Shaden Sharp. How concerned are you?
2: We still don't know the result of the MRI, but I we were just earlier today. I'm in Las Vegas right now, actually, for summer league, and we were just uh, asking Steve Hetzel, who is the assistant coach, who's coaching a summer league team, and he said that. Shaden felt good after the game. He felt fine. They held him out last night just kind of for precautionary reasons, but uh, that if the MRI comes back clean that they were are going to be totally fine playing him and they're not they're not just going to shut him down because he had this little shoulder tweak. I think it's it all it all depends on how the MRI comes back and we just don't have an answer on that yet.
0: What did you think uh, of the of the little you got to see him uh, and what are players and people saying about Shaden Sharp? Well, he only played for five minutes. He
2: went, shot one for three from the field. It looked like he was kind of forcing things a little bit, which you would kind of expect from just that guy who hasn't played competitive basketball in over a year. But I've been going to their summer league practices all week before I flew out to Vegas, and guys, other guys on the team, and Steve Hetzel, and like what little I've been, you know, been able to kind of talk informally with you know other people on their staff. Like everybody's raving about him. Everybody says, you know uh keon johnson called him a freak athlete and everybody said that he's just incredibly talented and it's just a matter of is he going to be able to do this against nba level competition they feel like he can but uh we haven't seen it yet so you know we'll see but everybody in the building feels really positively about what they've seen from him in practices so far
0: sean the uh the report yesterday new york post uh about jody allen it was a lot to unpack, uh, and clearly I think the Blazer fan you know, base, the core of the base at least, would really love to see new ownership engaged, enthused. What do you think is going on between Phil Knight and Jody Allen right now?
2: Well, pretty clearly there's a big concerted effort from a lot of people, not just Phil Knight and Nike, but also... Now you're seeing the other day, Senator Ron Wyden gave an interview with the Lamont League where he was talking about how he would like for Phil Knight to buy the Blazers. And then you saw Adam Silver's comments last month at the, his press conference at the finals, where he basically said that the team is going to have to get sold. I think there are a lot of people who have an interest in Jody selling the team and not only her selling a team, but her selling the team to Phil Knight. Like they I think I think the league would really like for Phil Knight to be the next owner of the Blazers. Not just the team wants to be sold; they want him to be the guy. And now that he's interested and they put in this offer, how quickly it plays out, I do not know. I will say I will say. So after that New York Post uh, report came out yesterday, which I I read, I thought it was interesting. I'm still kind of unpacking a lot of the individual elements of it, but there's you know certainly a lot to get into in there. I did hear last night because I you know. I had the press conference in the morning. I flew to Vegas in the afternoon and I was there at the gym for their summer league game. And so while I was there, I was like talking to different people that I kind of saw in, in Vegas at summer league. And one thing I heard that I thought was interesting was several media outlets were quote unquote pitched, I guess, if you will, on that exact story that the post ran before the post, you know, and ended up being the ones that bid on it. So clearly like there are people who really want this out there about Jody Allen and like how quote unquote toxic she is and, all of that, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are more stories like that that come out uh, in you know the coming weeks. Just because it seems like there's really a big concerted effort being made by a lot of people right now to kind of force her hand into selling a team. I don't know how successful it's going to be or how what timeline it might be. I still think that sale is going to get done in the next year, but this is just getting started.
0: Sean Hyken with us, Rose Garden Report. That's where you can read him. Um, so are you telling me that, you know, it doesn't surprise me, but are you telling me that, that somebody shopped that story around to various media outlets? Now, the stuff about the bones and the giraffe bones and the penguin school skulls, that, that's stuff that had been reported years ago, and it's come up here and there, but I've never seen it all in one place like that with the additional sort of hammer of Larry Miller. Who is, uh, you know, uh, under the umbrella of Nike at, at Jordan Brand, uh, also pointing a finger, going, "Hey, it's it's time for a change." Um, it it does feel to me like, you know, there's a bit of a uh, campaign that is running out there to get ownership changed. And and look, I support it because I feel like this franchise really just needs somebody to love it and nurture it and care about it and have accountability.
2: I think a lot of fans feel that way. One thing I thought was interesting in the story was one of the, like, the only person that really talked on the record for that story was Larry Miller. By, and by the way, I, I, one thing I thought was interesting was that in the story, it didn't mention anywhere. It just referred to Larry Miller as a former Blazers executive. It didn't mention anywhere that he has worked for Nike and has been the president of Jordan brand when the guy who founded Nike is the one trying to buy it. Like that's just something (laughs) I felt like maybe could have been mentioned in the story just for, you know, on the part, on the part of the writer. But, uh, but uh, uh, that, that aside, uh, it, it, it does feel like it's, you know, a lot of people are kind of trying to make this happen. And I think a lot of fans would support, you know, there being, there being new ownership.
0: Yeah. the, the fans that are out there that are—I uh, don't hear people clamoring—and it's—it feels like it's the one thing that can unify the fan base. Like, do you think just a change of ownership would would cause the fan base to kind of galvanize again?
2: I mean, I don't know if that's going to happen. That would happen overnight because I don't think most fans. I mean, me and you, like, our job is to live and breathe this stuff. So you and I know all the intricacies of you know who owns this team, who's the general manager, like. Even the stuff last, uh, you know, in the last in the last year, like the the Chauncey Billups stuff, the Neil Olsei stuff, I don't think most fans, like the vast majority of people who are buying tickets, who are just kind of casually going to games and aren't really following, you know, the team on a day to day basis as far as the off court stuff, I don't think most people even really knew about a lot of that stuff or really cared about it or paid attention to it. So I don't know if it's just like, you know, somebody besides Jody Allen owns the team. I think like most fans probably don't even know who Jody Allen is, but I do think that if that sale were to go through, especially if it were to be somebody like Phil Knight, who is the founder of Nike, which is, like, one of the most, you know, iconic and recognizable brands in the world of any kind, let alone just sportswear, uh, I think that would get a lot of people's attention, and I think you would see over the next few years, in his first few years of ownership, whether, you know, what they would do with, you know, investing in different stuff, and, uh, you know, it's all going to come down to how competitive is the team going to be, and, I think people, you know, if, if if this new guy buys the team and then completely strips it down and does a rebuild, and it's like a five years of like being in the lottery every year, I think that you know, no matter who owns the team, I don't think people are going to get excited about that. But if he, if you know, Joe, if Phil Knight buys the team and then they're competitive right away, I think that uh, you know people are going to get excited about that.
0: Give me an idea of where how good you think this roster could be next year. Like, let's just say some things break their way. They don't have injury problems. Chauncey Billups coaches well. Uh, Dame's healthy, comes back from the abdominal surgery, and he is relatively healthy. He plays kind of on the level that we expect him to play. What's the upside for this team? I think they can be a playoff team in the West. I don't have them in the same tier
2: as like the Golden States and the Phoenixes and if they're fully healthy, the other two teams I would put in the tier above Portland would be the Clippers and Denver. If Kawhi Leonard is healthy and if Jamal Murray is healthy, I think those are four teams that I would pretty clearly have above Portland. But then I would kind of have them in that next group with you know Minnesota. Now that they traded for Rudy Gobert, uh, New Orleans. Now that you know they're going to have a full year with CJ and Zion Williamson, theoretically is going to be healthy. Uh, you know Memphis is you know still going to be pretty good like I would have I would kind of have Portland in that second group where they could probably be like a five six seed to a play in type of team depending on how injuries shake out and how different stuff fits together but I, I think that I think they have a chance to be a playoff team that maybe even
0: like went around Sean Hyken how can people find the Rose garden report
2: uh, go to rose com subscribe there's a lot of free stuff but there's also a lot of paywall stuff that i think I, I i'm doing my best to make worse people's
0: money and there's also
2: a podcast that's also called the rose garden report that's free on all the usual apple spotify wherever nice. you usually get podcasts so all of all of that stuff you can just go ahead
0: all right you're in vegas are you are you a gambler what's your game uh, I, am not, I am not i'm not at I all just, like you won't play no. a hand of one hand of blackjack that's never been my thing roulette no
2: i that's not really my thing man i just like i come out i've been coming out here for 10 years for summer league and it's just, that's just, <laughs> i don't know that's just that whole that's
0: just never been my thing you're you are a, you are a winner because of that you know that you know because in the end the rest of us walk in there and we're throwing money at the casino so sean hyken you are <laughs> you are not only great on the nba you are smart in a casino
2: that's what, I mean, I guess, I guess if you say so. <laughs>
0: you are. All right, appreciate your work, man, and your expertise. Thanks, Sean. Good to talk to you, John. All right, there he is, Sean Hyken. Check out Rose Garden Report. He does a good job covering the team. Lillard, two years, $122 million. I hope the Blazers in his tenure can compete again. Can they get, can they win a game in the Western Conference Finals? I'll shut up if they win a game in the Western Conference Finals. I'll stop bellyaching about uh, ownership. I'll stop complaining about coaching. I'll stop looking at the roster and going, gosh, the roster's broken. Uh, I have spent the better part of Lillard's career here looking at what Neil Olshay did around him and just shaking my head. There was so much that the Blazers could have done and the summer of 2016 was the worst of it, of it all as they overpaid for marginal talent, but – In the end, this is a franchise. I think the fans, uh, you know, look, my job as a radio show host and a sports columnist is to kind of say what I think, uh, report, you know, talk to people, interview people, right? You know, that's part of it. But I got to tell you, it's more fun for me when the teams are winning. And it's more fun for me when the fans are engaged. And I think right now the Blazers should be concerned. Like, if they're not aware of the fact that the vast majority of their fan base right now, if you put out a poll, would vote to replace your owner, then they're tone deaf. I think that there's a real disconnect right now between ownership, because it's absentee, and the franchise. Again, I'll come back and I'll say this. There are good people working at one center court. There are tremendously talented people who are working in sponsorship and ticket sales and on the business side of the operation, on the basketball side of the operation, they've got p- good people, but I think when you don't have that congruency of vision that should come from top down, your owner down to your general manager and your team president to your coach to your players to you know all the way down to the ushers and the ball boys, like at the end of it. Uh, You don't have anything if you don't have that congruency of vision, and it breaks down for the Blazers at the top of the pyramid. It just breaks down. So good for Lillard. He got the money. I just hope that it's going to be money well spent in the end. Leave it here. You got the bald-faced truth statewide. Back to the
1: bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Well, I wrote a piece today at johnconzano.com about USC and UCLA and Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov. He was in Montana with his wife, taking a couple of days off uh, last week when the world of college football uh, dumped, uh, you know, got dumped on uh, its head. Uh, the commissioner... Uh, was uh, you know surprised like a lot of us what with what happened but I am told that USC and UCLA were not happy having to share uh, get an equal share of revenue when it came to the pac12s TV deal uh, that they wanted uh, the commissioner to talk with them about getting more now they're gone okay there's no putting USC and UCLA back in the pac12. That's not an option. They're gone. But now George Klyavkov has, I think, his first major crisis. Clearly it's a crisis, and he's got to solve it. And the world is watching, and the future of the Pac-12 is at stake. And this is like a movie, like give us all some popcorn, let's see what happens. So the options that are on the table right now for the Pac-12, it seems to have have, uh, settled into a lull, and I told you it would two days ago. I didn't think that it was going to be a flurry of action after they had their 30-day negotiating window that they opened with ESPN and Fox. But I think what we're seeing now is the Pac-12 is trying to figure out, um, you know, do they form a loose partnership with the ACC and let ESPN sort of serve as the glue in that relationship? Do they raid the Big 12 for a couple of new members? Do they do both of those things? Do they partner with the Big 12? Do they add San Diego State, SMU, Fresno State, Boise State? Do they, Or do they stand at 10 members? As I think about those things, I want to know kind of where your head goes as a college football fan. Are you a fan of the idea of the Pac-12 staying as a 10-member organization, or do you think they should add some Big 12 members or look at San Diego State or Boise State or SMU or Fresno State? Let's talk about the job that Klyovkov has to do here because he's either going to lead one of the great comeback stories in college athletics or the Pac-12 is going to kind of fade away here. Judah Newby, what, what would you do if you're or what would your Where does your head go when I raise the idea of inviting new partners in, partnering with the Big 12, partnering with the ACC? Where does your head go?
1: Check one. You got me, Sean? I got you now. Awesome. All right. So probably I would say partnering with the uh, ACC makes the most sense. That being said, I'm seeing some of these reports, and, John, you've dumped some cold water on these social media reports. So I'm trying not to believe anybody other than you and John Wilner at this point. (laughs) Um, But the fact that, like, Clemson and Florida State might be sniffing around other, Mm -hmm. you know, possible – You know, ESPN-SEC partnerships makes me wary, if I'm George Klyovkov, that Jim Phillips has his internal house in order. You already saw Kevin Warren betray George. Jim Phillips doesn't seem like a guy that would want to betray George either, but that loose partnership, it's like, man, like, are we really going to try to do this again? And, frankly, the ACC, you know, top programs that would most benefit the Pac-12 in a loose partnership don't seem like they're too eager to stay in the ACC. Therefore, even though the Big 12 seems like the lesser of the two partnerships, it might be the more stable. And if you're prioritizing stability, then that might be the best route to take. If you're the Oregon Ducks, I think you know partnering with the Big 12, getting you some games with BYU every year, getting you games maybe with Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU, I know it doesn't sound sexy on the face of it, but that might be the best play when it's all said and done.
0: I think there's two steps to this, and I want to put that same question out to our listeners at 503-417-7575. You tell me what uh, what appeals to you, or what do you think George Klyovkov should do? I kind of feel like this is going to happen in two moves, two steps. Like, we all want it to be fixed with one move. Like, George Klyovkov invites, you know, the ACC to partner, and that's it. And uh, the Pac-12 and the ACC dance off. But I don't think that's it. I don't think that... This thing is going to be fixed with one little move. I think it's going to take uh, a couple of steps, and I think step one, the goal for me, if I'm George Klyovkov, and step one is to stabilize the conference and to position it as the number three option in this landscape that is forming, Big Ten. Uh, it obviously has uh, USC and UCLA to add to Ohio State and Michigan, Michigan State and Purdue and everybody else. And the SEC is the SEC. So what, what I think is forming is the SEC and the Big Ten obviously want to grab as many of those 12 potential playoff spots that will be available when they expand. And they are sort of gaming the system a little bit, as they always have to try to position themselves to get, you know, can we get four or five teams into this playoff? That's what they want because, you know, Bill Moose said it on our show earlier this week. The former Nebraska AD came on. He said, you know, he made this comment kind of late in the interview about the goal of the teams in college football used to be to win a national championship, and he feels like maybe that's unattainable for a lot of schools now. But the the new goal might just be to get to the playoff, get to the twelve team playoff. Because if you do, you're going to presumably capture um, a huge windfall for your university and for your conference. Now, those conference members for the four team invitational playoff, you know, at different points that number is escalated from twelve million to fifteen million to twenty million dollars. Those are huge paydays just for making the playoff. I suspect the TV deal for the new playoff, when it comes out, will be lucrative enough to, uh, you know, result in twenty to twenty-five million-dollar paydays for the universities and their conferences who qualify for it. So, if I am George Klyovkov in the short term, I, my goal is: I want the Pac-12. When the world looks at college football, I want the Pac-12 to be part of the group, or uh, or and part of the entity that is sitting in the number three position because you have the big 10, you have the sec in the one, two position you need a th- yet yeah, that third position now is up for grabs. Now I know the big 12 is trying to uh, position itself to be the third option. And I know the ACC probably feels like if all thing, if nothing happens because they have Clemson, because they have Miami probably slip in there as the number three, but the reality is it's two moves for Klyovkov. The first move is, Hey, uh, we we need to position this as the number three option. And I think the partnership with the ACC does that effectively. Now, you talked about the reports on social media about Miami and Clemson sniffing around. I expect that they should sniff around, but the reality is their grant of rights, the contract that they have with their own conference, uh, as it pertains to their media rights, it, it prohibits them from leaving until 2036, unless the conference is merged with another conference or there's some kind of uh, realignment of the conference. There has to be a structural change to the members. It's why I think the Pac-12 is talking, quote-unquote, loose partnership, because they don't want to end up in court with Miami and Clemson going, hey, hey, uh, we we can get out of the conference now because they added the Pac-12 to our conference. I think the ACC is going to go, no, we just have a loose partnership. We're going to play some crossover games. We're going to play some games at the end of the season uh, where we normally would play a conference championship game. You're going to play the, the Pac-12 champion, and we're going to all posture for the college football playoff selection committee. But if you have Clemson and Miami in your partnership, and you have Florida State in there, and you have Utah and Oregon in there, and Washington, and, you know, I think you have enough there to maintain that you are the number three option. I think the Big 12 cannot compete with that. Now that's step one. Step two for me then is about accelerating and long-term vision. Who do you want to be part of this conference? I ultimately think there may be some buyer's remorse on behalf of the Big 10 conference. I think a decade from now, I will not be surprised if they look back and they go, hey, USC and UCLA, they were great members. They brought the LA market, but man, they aren't what they used to be. Because we've been saying that for like 15 years. USC's not what it used to be. doesn't have the impact that it used to have. We've been saying that over and over again. So I think at that point, if you're George Kwiatkow, the second move here is to not allow the Big Ten and the SEC to take in any more blue-chip members. I think you have to be looking over and going, does geography matter? Can you have a Pac-12 conference that you could foresee – trying to lure Notre Dame or Clemson or Miami or Florida State into the fold. Does that make any sense to you? Well, maybe the short-term play with this partnership tells you a little bit about that travel and the stuff that I think would scare you away. Let's go to the phones. David is in Astoria. David, welcome to the conversation. Hey, John.
3: I have two uh, priorities in mind for this new football landscape and, and adjusting to it. First is stability, being an old fart, I don't like change. Uh, second is setting it up however we set it up so as to, as much as possible, prevent the gaming of the system that is going on. I, I really detest this whole uh, money is everything instead of, uh, instead of any, any sort of nod tradi- to tradition. Um, I don't like the disruption. I don't like the. I don't like how it's going to end up. I can see how it's going to end up, but I don't like it. I, I think it's not good for college football. But in the meantime, uh, I'm perfectly happy not to worry my pretty little head about it, uh, the details, and leave it to Kliovkov. He seems to be one of a very few people in, in the, in the, uh, in the landscape that is best set up, uh, best equipped to come up with a good solution. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, I, I haven't given a whole lot of thought to the details. I'm not, right. I don't really love the notion of traveling back and forth to the East coast on, uh, On any sort of partnership with the ACC, but, you know, I'm not welded to that dislike. Uh,
0: Well, the the thing about that is that you wouldn't be flying back and forth in all your sports, right? Because it's a loose partnership, maybe it's just a one-off early season non-conference game where Miami's playing Oregon or. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Baltics. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but.